welcome to episode 22 of Tune to Me. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And today, it's the Rock Hall 2020 inductees. That's right, coming to Cleveland, Ohio. I know it's been delayed, but every year it's so interesting. They put out a bunch of people that should get in, and then the people that get in, you scratch your head. At least for me, I always see people on the ballot that just been itching every year to get in. And I know this is a point of contention. Everyone is always kind of putting down the rock hall and who gets in. But I don't know, Ray. I think the class of 2020 isn't too bad. I'm pretty satisfied. I, I tend to take a pretty inclusive view to, to mm-hmm. Hall of Fames. So you know, there's a lot of acts that aren't in that I think should be in. But at the same time, I think eventually a lot of them will get in, right? It's just a matter of you know, it's not like, like baseball where, oh, 10 years and then you're out, you know, like mm-hmm. somebody like the Eurythmics. I mean, eventually they're going to get in, I think, you know, or something. But yeah, I think you look at the the list here and you really, I think, can't make an argument against any of them, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's a selection here. You got sort of the most probably standard rock of them is the Doobie Brothers and T-Rex. T-Rex mm-hmm. is, they're better known in England and the U.S., but they're very influential, right? So even though a lot of U.S. folks may only know them for Bang a Gong, their influence was significant. So you get them, the Doobie Brothers, right? You've got sort of the the 80s post-punk alternative Depeche Mode and then moving into the 90s, Nine Inch Nails. Meanwhile, you're, you've are you got Whitney Houston, who, of course, in terms of pop, if you think of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in terms of pop music, I mean, <laughs> Few were bigger in the 80s, and I think there were like three of them, and we can name them, right? And, and then, of course, Notorious B.I.G., I mean, the influence in the, of rap and hip-hop in the 90s, and um, not just the hits he had before he passed away, and then even after he passed away, because Mo Money, Mo Problems, and some other ones were afterwards, but the influence that he's had. So, I mean, you, you got a nice, diverse group here. Yeah, and I guess the thing for me is, I've actually, I went to one Rock Hall induction ceremony, and I guess the one thing that always bums me out. There's a couple things that bum me out when either some of the groups are deceased or they don't want to reunite or they've waited too long. So now there's only two you know, members around out of the four. So they just, you know, I don't want to play. So I went and I saw Run DMC. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Jam Master Jay wasn't there. So Run DMC did not perform. Mm-hmm. So if you look at this list, you know, Whitney, mm-hmm. Biggie, Nine Inch Nails will probably perform, Depeche Mode will probably perform, and the Doobie Brothers. So I guess you've got three out of them that will probably go there. But that's, to me, that's kind of the pinnacle. You get there and you really look forward to them to perform. And then I love when they bring everybody out at the end to kind of jam together. And there's some really good classic Mm -hmm. performances of Prince and Mm -hmm. some of the other artists that were inducted that came together at the end and there's these incredible you know jam sessions so i also wonder when they go ahead and they put together the lineup if they wonder well who's actually going to show up because we got to kind of put on a show we just can't have it all people clapping and some kind of award ceremony so i wonder if there's some philosophy that goes into that too yeah that's a good i mean it's a good point you know that concert the induction ceremony i've watched several of them on hbo and you know the performances are part of it and like you said and then they have the big jam session at the end and then she said you know as you mentioned that you know, uh, most of T-Rex is not around. <laughs> Whitney's passed away. Notorious B.I.G.'s passed away. They're going to have somebody come out and do performances. You know, I, I, whether it's, you know, they'll have somebody come out and do songs by Whitney Houston. They'll get, they'll have 
what's her name? American Idol and Kelly Clarkson. No, no, no. From Dreamgirls. Oh, yes. Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. Thank you. Jennifer Hudson. You know, I, I can imagine Jennifer Hudson coming out and doing some Whitney Houston song or who did the song Tattoo. Uh, She's from American Idol. It's going to hit me in a second. I could see her face. It's going to hit you at the same time I find it. My father was a football player. Yep. Jordan Sparks. Yep. I could so, Yeah. I mean, even Beyonce doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Hudson just comes to mind as the one who I think would probably fulfill it best. You know, and somebody would come out and do stuff, uh, Notorious B.I.G., Puff Daddy. Or- Maybe I missed that. I, I didn't realize that if the artist wasn't present, someone else would sing for them. I, I haven't seen that before. Oh, I thought that they did. I don't know. I don't, I've only seen a few few inductions. Yeah. I never really get a chance to watch them all, but I thought they've had people come out and do yeah. performances by them. You know, like you said, though, I mean, if you're, you're ever going to have a year to do it, you know, if you, what do you want? Yeah. You want three performances and that's it? You know, after- Ray, I think I've got an idea. I think what they should do is you've got the T-Rex version, right? Get it on, bang, gone. But I really want them to reunite Power Station. <laughs> well, they can't. That's not possible either because right. Robert Palmer is right. gone. Tony Thompson, the drummer, is gone. And then right. you only got the guys left from Duran Duran, and they're touring with Duran Duran. So. Right. So, you know, that's not, <laughs> not going to work uh, either. Well, it goes back to the point you said, right? That when they delay entry long enough, people start passing away. And I mean, you know, we're talking about a number of people who passed away, you know, young. So Whitney Houston was still young. Robert Palmer was still only in his early 50s, right? So Tori's B.I.G., of course, even younger than that. So it's not like we're talking about, oh, we waited till they were, you know, 80 instead of 70 or something. But and that happens in the music industry. But it just, yeah, I think that's always a risk you you run. I always think, uh, I know I always tend to make comparisons to baseball, but it's because my head's in these two worlds at once all the time. But Ron Santo of the Cubs was inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame about four years ago or so. And it was like literally happened just after he had passed away, you know, and for years people had been on the bandwagon. Ron Santos should be in Ron. And then he, he died and like literally, you know, the next year he was put in and it was like, well, you could have done this two years ago. So, you know, again, that's not the case with Houston and, and Biggie and, and stuff, but I think it makes sense to have folks come out and folks who would be in the tradition of come out and do performance mm-hmm. by these people i mean you know if you want like the family of of whoever to to sort of sign off on who gets to do the performance cool that's what have to happen yeah. yeah yeah and i was wondering i mean there's one that i kept thinking about and i know they're not part of this class but it was a couple of years ago where the cars got in mm-hmm. and i'm so glad they got in because i think it was almost a year later rick Ocasek uh, passed away and think about that they waited so long yep. that they almost lost that performance because there would have been no way for them to perform as the cars because they already had lost Benjamin or right. back in, what was it? 2000 or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, that's it. You've got both of your lead singers then gone. And I mean, as much as, or was one of the two singers, Ocasek was the, I mean, he was the face of the car and, and that voice is so distinctive that you don't replace that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when's Mike and the mechanics oh. getting in, right? Because <laughs> they've got, they lost one lead singer. They only have one left. Yeah. They, I mean, they lost Paul Young, you know, Paul Carrick. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. You know, the thing is. Are they on your list right? of, of rock and roll inductees that need to get in? my list. I mean, but. Again, you know, this is the thing. I have a. Oh, I know Teddy Gibson's on your list to see uh, who else should get in. I mean, I have. I tend to ha- again. I tend to be a pretty inclusive 
kind of guy when it comes to this stuff. I, again, you know, in baseball, I do the same thing and I'll, I'll tell people, oh yeah, so-and-so should be in the hall of fame all the time. And they're like, I'll have this list of 20 guys. And they're like, really? You know, same thing in the hot rock hall. I mean, to me, Mike and the Mechanics should be in. I think for a lot of folks, though, I mean, you and I are Mike and the Mechanics fans. I don't know that in the big scheme of things, they're ever going to get that recognition. I think Mike Rutherford is part of Genesis that that's where his legacy is going to ride. But, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe someday somebody will look at the legacy. I mean, here they are in 2020 mm-hmm. and they're still performing. They've got Andrew Roachford singing for them and, you know, that they've lasted for 40 years. So, or almost 40 years. That's significant, right? That's longevity. They kept it going, but will people look at it and go, yeah, but that was always Rutherford's side project. And the reason they lasted was because Rutherford always wanted to do stuff with it and, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's true. I'm well. I mean, it is a good segue into the Doobie Brothers. I mean, they've been around 40 years and they're still doing things. And I know what we were talking about before we started, but it really does make me laugh about when I think of the Doobie Brothers, I love their music, but Ray, they have used the same riff three times, I think on their biggest hits. And the last one they had, the last one they had was The Doctor. Right. If you remember that one. 1989, right. 89. I know you're a fan of that. And it always made me laugh because it sounds pretty much like everything else. So, you know, you've got, right? Yep. Okay. So you got that. And then of course you've got, uh, you know, it's pretty much the same song. The instrumentation's a little bit different. The, the, the vocalization's a little bit different, but I mean, the riff is, <laughs> how do you deny it, right? I mean, it's like, you know, we need a hit. You know, what if we went back well, and, you know, just tweaked it up just a little bit? So so China Grove was 1973, right? In mm-hmm. 1989, when The Doctor came out, it had been almost a decade. It had been nine years, well, eight, eight and a half, right, since uh, the Doobie Brothers had had a top 40 hit. And it had been six years since they had even been on the pop chart. So, and they came back. And I, I remember when that song came out. I remember it was the Oh, the Doobie Brothers come back. And, you know, I remember seeing it on MTV VH1. I remember playing it on radio. I used to work at a radio station. We did adult contemporary radio. And, you know, it got play. And this was the Doobies. This was their comeback. And of course, their last hurrah, because, you know, they didn't hit the chart again after. I mean, they had another, a second song off of that album, did it? Need a Little Taste of Love. But, after that album, they didn't hit the pop chart again. And so, you know, there's something to the idea that, hey, we can just recycle this a little bit, you know, have a little comeback 16 years later. Yeah, people will notice, but it'll also be nostalgic. And so there you go. And Michael McDonald had left uh, yep. probably a few years prior. So he went off and obviously he had a very successful solo career. Yep. So there's probably a lot of... Uh, truth to that statement it's like okay well come on guys we need to pack the audience let's yeah. let's try to well, get some people I, back but it, it's i mean I, i'm not gonna you know take away that i think it's a great tune well we, we know other artists do it you know your famous one was always sammy hagar and van halen right run around and uh giving me the run around right and you know they got the same oh yeah same you know and so and just to clarify i mean they actually disbanded in 83 and when they came back in 89 McDonald just didn't come back. I think he's actually back touring with them now. So, or, or mm-hmm. you know, before COVID-19, he was, you know, involved with them and stuff. But yeah. um, 
But yeah, you know, I mean, here they are, 50, you know, 50 years, basically, they've been going at it, and they've got a heck of a record. I mean, you know, there are, I mean, some of their songs are part of the soundtrack of the 70s. If you look at Long Train Running, What a Fool Believes, Listen to the Music. I mean, some of this is stuff that just, you know, I've been doing that music to help us get through everything together, and I did uh, listen to the music as one of those, but I mean, I had a, you know, three or four of them I could have picked from. They're just, you know, some of these, we, we talked about Yacht Rod a few months ago, right? I mean, yeah. some of this stuff fits right in there. It's this, this music that makes you feel good. It's really upbeat. It's got some nice guitar riff that kind of, you know, I mean, when you were playing that, I, I was air guitaring while you were doing the, the China Grove there, you know, just, you can't help it. And you, you were, you were also, you brought up Robbie Dupree, which I always think is interesting that, you know, maybe Robbie was, uh, you know. Yeah, maybe he was uh, intrigued about uh, you know the. Uh... Yeah, it's what a fool believes. I mean, it's not exact, but it's really, really close. Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, that was 1979, and then what was Robbie? Uh, that was about 80. Yeah, yeah, it was only like a yeah. a year or two later. Yeah, you put those back to back on that yacht rock tape. Yeah, 1980. Yes, yeah, so literally, you know, like a year later. You would. Yeah you would be cranking out and probably most people wouldn't even know like, Oh yeah, man, I love the Doobie brothers. Well, it was actually Robbie. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. That's again, part of the, uh, the legacy of the Doobie brothers that, you know, they, that even sort of unconsciously they have this influence that there's stuff that, you know, you're going to sound like that because it just sticks with you. And there's certain types of patterns that they used mm-hmm. for what they did that just kind of they stick in there right that's what a hook does and it's or a good riff does it sticks in there and so without even knowing it you you find you're kind of emulating that Mm -hmm. i mean that's and that's i mean that's part of songwriting i you know i was writing songs 30 years ago i don't write a whole lot anymore but i have a number of songs i've written over the years mainly it's just piano line and vocals and the one song that's sort of the most complete song that i i ever wrote i wrote literally 30 years ago this summer what I had done was I had taken a Richard Marks songbook that mm-hmm. had, you know, songs from his first uh, two albums on it. And of course, right back then was right here. Waiting was, the, you know, the big hit in 89 and every, you know, tons of high school boys throughout the country were learning that dun, 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 dun you know, that beginning keyboard line. And I learned the types of chord patterns that Richard Marks used in that and in Hold On to the Nights and in other songs. That really sort of was how I, I learned to write at least a certain type of music. And the one song that I wrote, The Science of Love, it really, it doesn't sound exactly like a Richard Marks song. I'm not like ripping off something, but it's in the style of. It's, you know, it's got the same kind of sure. chord progression and the same kind of uh, way that I play the chord the way that I play the chord out through the notes that that's what you do. And so you, you learn to emulate certain styles and or you just hear stuff and it sticks with you and you don't even realize you're doing it. And, and that's part of the yeah. Doobie brothers. I mean, that's what they did. You make a really good point about this rock hole class because I even think about the patch mode where mm-hmm. in the style of, and this band going in is really unique. I remember their first song. I remember hearing their first hit people are people. Right. Hearing that on the radio going, what is this? <laughs> and listening to it over and over again and just the message that was in the song and the way it really used all the instruments that made this song very unique. And then all of a sudden you started hearing the clones coming out, trying to sound like Depeche Mode. Right. And then they had to change their sound 
And then their next wave of hits, when they started going down the whole enjoy the silence, personal Jesus, that even was a new augmentation where they brought in a lot of guitars and changed the way they were were writing their songs. So it's amazing. Even that band, just like the Doobie Brothers, I mean, I know we're talking about different decades. Actually, they did cross over there in the 80s, but they definitely brought their own. Yeah, you know, Depeche Mode's a, a really interesting one. And People Are People is a song that I could really put on the, the music to help everybody get through everything together. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I thought it's it may come at some day. I've got a whole bunch of them in my head that are you know, going to come out at some point. But, the, you know, they've got sort of this legacy from the 80s. And then, as you said, that, that Violator album in uh, 1990, 89-90, that really kind of advanced them in a way that, and gave them some publicity that they hadn't really had before, right? So if you p- follow like pop music, you knew People Are People. You might have heard Strange Love. You know, they, they had a couple other uh, hits in there. And if you were in alternative music, you certainly knew who Depeche Mode was in the 80s. And then in, in 1990, with uh, Personal Jesus, Enjoy the Silence, and Policy of Truth, you got three straight top 40 hits off of that Violator album. And that was sort of the, the moment of recognition to the bigger pop world for Depeche Mode. And then, you know, they never quite had that pop success again but personal jesus is one that uh, you know in, enjoy the silence was their biggest hit and in fact policy of truth was even a bigger hit than personal jesus in terms of chart but personal jesus is one that it gets parodied it gets used time and time again because that riff that they've got that go dun 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 dun, dun that, it's useful for a lot of different things and so part of their legacy is their influence and it's also then the memorability of certain things that they did. Yeah. And I always thought it was kind of cool that before they hit their, one of their keyboardists left to form Erasure and Yaz. And that was like, like 82 or so he left and just went off and formed those other groups. So it was kind of like a spinoff in a way where if you think about it, the Pesh Mode also shaped much music that I guess most people don't realize influencing, at least from that way. And that always intrigued me too. I love when that happens with bands. Right. Well, and, and then, you know, when we move from Depeche Mode, we sort of then see the overlap into uh, Nine Inch Nails, which again is another one that yeah. they had a moment of some pop recognition in the 90s. And but in terms of like alternative and pushing the envelope type of music in the 90s, that's where Nine Inch Nails really belongs here. Well, and of course, they uh, they belong just because uh, recently the sample. <laughs> Trent Reznor is making a lot of money right now. Well, Trent Reznor is making a lot of money off of a lot of things, you know, like movie soundtracks. And, you know, that guy, he had, I don't know if he had a game plan, but it sure seemed that way that, you know, this is, that he does this sort of alternative music, but then there's all this other stuff that, you know, he was doing industrial rock type music. And then all this other stuff that he was doing. He's always sort of had his, his head in the game of doing all kinds of different musical stuff and branching out. Interesting. I was going to say, he's a businessman. Oh, totally. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. He's playing this in terms of what can I, you know, how can I, um, I mean, it's creativity too, but at the same time, recognizing opportunities to make money. And, and I don't want to just think just in terms of make money, but, but think of oh. this as long-term success in various avenues that gives him a career. And you have the updated Bible. Mine is dated but according to mine i don't see him ever having a top 40 hit because uh, closer no, only they, they had one no they had one the day the world went away oh was that from a soundtrack to a movie no it just was a hit in uh 99 actually so 
It was sort of, and actually, so, the, and then the hand that feeds right after that, oh, 05. Oh, I forgot about the hand that feeds. Yeah, That's no. actually a really good thing. I mean, the one that they really sort of got a lot of exposure with closer in the early 90s. And that's my favorite. I think, uh, as you know, I used to have my own chart and I'm pretty sure closer went number one on my chart, but it hit 41. It almost hit the top 40, but it was much mm-hmm. more of a, a sort of album rock hit and alternative rock hit. And, you know, it's a controversial song too, right? This, you know, oh, yeah. you get me closer to God and the the yeah. um, uh, the video. Interestingly enough, all three acts that we've talked about that are now just getting into the Hall of Fame, all three of them have a song that's already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So Head Like a Hole has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from Nine Inch Nails. People Are People and What a Fool Believes have all made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame already. So this is another part of the legacy of these artists is that the artists themselves are making it, but gee, <laughs> you know, they're kind of already there. In other words, we've already recognized. And so it's funny that they haven't even gotten in, but their song did. Well, that's a great segue because I was thinking about Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Some of his songs have actually sampled hits Oh yeah, of artists that have already been in. You got Diana Ross thinking yeah. about her. Yeah. Now I'm not sure if Herb Alpert's in there. Oh yeah, no. But I'm I about to say, hypnotize uh, uses Rise by Herb Alpert. That I love that kind of sound you hear in there. You know, that's that's Rise from Herb Alpert. That's a great, it's a great tune from Herb Alpert too. I love that thing. Yeah, I mean, innovator ahead of his time. Got to be impressed when you pick a perfect sample. Oh my God, that is, and it works in terms of this idea of hypnotized too, right? As you said. It's like perfect. That's the genius, right? So, you know, I remember the late 80s and here I am, this kid growing up in small town Ohio, you know, into pop music and rock music and stuff and rap and hip hop is developing. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's real music and all those other really sort of a racist kind of idea, but that I've since, you know, I don't think that anymore. But at the time, you know, in the, the late 80s, I'm this white kid growing up in white Ohio. And the idea that, you know, sampling was problematic, that, oh, they're sampling, they're not really coming up with the music. Once I started and other people who were like me, like-minded, you started listening to this stuff, you realized like that was a, there was, there was a skill to that. And we talk, we know that the history of sampling goes back to the, the DJs playing over records and rapping over records at clubs and stuff. And so you know, this wasn't just stealing because that's that was the the sort of the stereotype that I bought into in the 80s and that other folks did. That, oh, well, you're just stealing music. Well, no, they're actually taking that and they're building a cultural product off of it. And that's like you said, that Notorious B.I.G. took this basically was the perfect sample and built something else out of it. And there's genius to that. I mean, that was the genius of him was this ability to take. Yeah these sounds and the samples and other sounds, right? These beats and samples and and put them together in a way that was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And I wonder, you talked about earlier about the performance and I'm wondering if, you know, P Diddy, Puff Daddy, I'm not sure what he's going (laughs) by these days, if he will perform in tribute because that would make sense to me, you know, getting, doing that, maybe bring Mace out or that. And then it made me start to think about, Recently, you had mm-hmm, Kygo mm-hmm. take Higher Love and turn Whitney Houston, her song from whatever, the, the late 90s, into a hit. And think about that, just transforming that. I know we talked about that in the past, but my question was, is I wondered if Kygo is responsible for tipping the scales to get yeah, Whitney Yeah, I don't now. know. One more point I want to make about Notorious B.I.G. before we move on to Whitney, and I believe me, I can talk about Whitney all day, but sure. you, know, you mentioned doing a tribute to him and stuff and bringing out a uh, puff daddy, whatever. 
And I mean, that's another mm-hmm. part of it is that he was, it wasn't his song, but after he was killed, I'll be missing you. I mean, that was such a huge hit. And, it, you know, I about um, that. and, you know, it's Puff Daddy and Faith Evans and 311 and they, they put it together. That's another one that, I mean, I love that. Absolutely love that song. And it takes every breath you take from the police, which, you know, one of the biggest hits of the eighties, in my mm-hmm. mind, it wasn't the longest run at number one in the eighties, but if I had to pick one song from the eighties, that was the biggest hit of the eighties. If you had to made me choose one, that's the one I'm going to pick. You know, it, it was close to the longest run at the top mm-hmm. at number one. It had the most staying power. It, it just was, it was everywhere. You know, I said that to one a friend of mine one time and, and I said, you know, if I had to pick one song from the eighties, that was the most significant. He goes, well, it was the most overplayed. And I said, well, that's part of the argument is that it was played so much. And so they took that song and then they made one of the most significant songs of the 90s, right? One of, you know, this long running number one hit in the 90s, I'll Be Missing You. And I, I mean, that's another one where they took that and they took a classic already and they, they turned it into another classic that's different and different in a way that that is profound. And the one, the one memory I have about that is when yeah. they performed with Sting, yeah. I think at one of the MTV Music Awards shows. And he just kind of walked out and I was like, I mean, is this really happening? That's amazing. But yeah, that gets us then to this idea of Whitney Houston and the new version, this higher love. You're taking the Steve Winwood classic and they took an old vocal that she had done of it and, uh, you know, turned it into a song mm-hmm. that's had some success over the last year. Whether that, that I don't think that that, I don't know that, I really don't think that that song tipped the scales for Whitney Houston. I think, who was the popular vote that won here? I'm trying to remember. Because, you know, they do the fan vote now, right? It could have been Nine Inch Nails. I'm fan not sure. I'm guessing. Vote. I'm looking it up right now. How will you know? How will I know? <laughs> I'll trust that feeling. Actually, it looks like Dave Matthews Band won, but they're not getting in or something. So followed by – so I'll we'll have to look into that. I don't remember what happened. But, you know, Whitney Houston getting in is sort of a – you know, I don't know if it was just they wanted to wait a while. You know, if it was just a matter of – Janet Jackson? You want okay. to wait a while? You Janet Jackson? Janet Jackson. Because this is – so here's the thing. Right. Whitney Houston is belongs. In, I mean, in terms of pop music in the 80s, she's right up there with Prince, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Hall and Oates. You, you know, you go through the short list and Whitney Houston is right there. And one of the things that we're looking to do here on the site, we do the send tune. And I mean, Whitney Houston has a great catalog mm-hmm. of hits. And of course, there are lots of reasons for her to be here. She set the record. She broke the record and set the, the Supremes record and set the record for most number one hits in a row. She had tons and tons of top 10 and top 40 hits. Uh, Whitney Houston is, and her voice is just so profound, so amazing. Uh, she belongs here. But when you mention Janet Jackson, so here's the thing. We've got this Whitney Houston send tune. And of course, if you don't know Sentune, folks, you know, we've been doing this since, well, pretty much since the beginning of Tunes Mate, right? The the idea you, you take five sentences by an artist and you put them together to form a sentence. So you take or five titles, right, by an artist. Five songs. Yeah, five song titles and you put them together to make a complete and accurate sentence. And Whitney Houston, so thinking about this, I came up with one. So a Sentune is you do five. There's also what's the mini Sentune where you take three songs and titles you do it. So when you believe all at once, love will save the day step by step one of those days. When you believe all at once, love will save the day step by step one of those days. Right? That's a send tune with Whitney Houston. But you mentioned Janet Jackson. So we should at some point do a Janet Jackson send tune. Because Janet Jackson has a bunch of songs that make it really easy to do a send tune. If, I mean, I don't know how many times I've tried to do a send tune over the years. And I needed a song that started with if, 
again, right? You can just throw that at the end of anything and you got a song title. Well, blah, 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 again, right? Even, and a bunch of one word titles like Escapade and Scream and everything. I mean, you can literally make a, a send tune out of her stuff and have like like 10 words in it because you got a bunch of one and two two words. So, you know, you can do, um, I'm just really sort of spitballing here. I had Scream, Nasty Black Cat. <laughs> yeah, see, right? You just made a mini Centune with where you only need three songs and it's got four words. I don't know if there's a single other artist because you need at least, you're going to have to have at least three words to make a three, right? If you get three one word titles, you got a Centune. You just did it in four words. I mean, that's basically like as close to the minimum as you can get almost, right? So, but Whitney Houston's got some good songs for this. All at once helps you out in a lot of ways. When you believe becomes a starter for a sentence that you can then add other stuff in with. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I guess for you, Whitney Houston talked about the eighties. It seems like she's, I don't want to say one of the last big eighties artists. I mean, there's plenty more, but seems like from the catalog of songs that this seems to be one of the longest performers to be inducted. What does Whitney Houston mean to you? Whitney Houston means the greatest voice I've ever heard. Well, in terms of, yeah, I think the greatest voice I've ever heard. There are other voices that I love, but I think that, you know, there may be other voices. I don't know if Mariah Carey's range maybe is probably greater, but Whitney had a feel to that voice that can just melt me time after time after time after time. But when I think of also Whitney Houston, I really got into music in the summer of 1987. I mean, I, you know, I knew some music before then. That was the summer that I started like dialing into MTV. And I say that pun intended, right? Because I used to watch dial MTV. And, but I mean, I got dialed into music. And that's when I started listening to uh, first Rick D's and then Casey Kasem, Top 40. Started really following the Billboard chart in 1988. But eight, summer 87 was when I got into it. And that's when she released her second album, Whitney. Mm-hmm. And I want to dance with somebody. Somebody loves me was crucial to that. I would watch MTV and that video would come on. I mean, I thought she was so pretty and I thought that her voice was amazing. And I mean, I even kind of that summer had a bit of a crush on Whitney Houston. And I just thought that was part of my introduction to I'm going to be a real music fan. Yeah. What about you? Well, to me, I felt when I saw her perform for the first time and I found out history, I felt, wow, this is like a child prodigy because there's there's a lineage here Mm -hmm. to the history. Mm -hmm. Because I was familiar with it's her mother, right? That had a hit from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember that song because it used to get played in the house. And then I saw her, and I'm, are they related? And I started, you know, researching it, and I was like, you know, this artist is is going to take off. And essentially, that's what happened. I mean, you think about in the '90s, the remake of Dolly Parton's hit, yep, topped the charts forever. I remember seeing a in college, it was photocopied on a wall, like, please stop playing this song. <laughs> <laughs> it was a picture of Whitney Houston. <laughs> People just couldn't take it anymore. So. You think about just the transcendence of the music and, and how it's it's lasted. And then, like I said, just recently unearthed, combining with Kygo, takes off on the charts again and, and makes it sound new. And you realize how powerful that voice is. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's been great. Yep. Yep. So 
I know we're, we're right around the end of our podcast here, but just curious. I don't want to leave off. We had John Landau and Irving Azoff. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on those two pioneers as well? Honestly, I mean, I think both are long overdue. It's funny. We talk about, you know, 87 is when I really got into following music, but it was, mm-hmm. it was 1990, I think. My parents bought me the book Hitmen. Hitman power brokers and fast money inside the music business. They got it for me for like, you know, my birthday or something. And I read it and I guess it came out, I think it was 90 or 91. I thought it was 90. And yeah, originally published in 90. I, I read it and I, that's where I learned all these record executives, Goddard Lieberson and Ahmed Erdogan, who the award that, you know, is, is named after Clive Davis. I mean, I, this is where I learned about a lot of these people who were the record producers. And so the more I learned about that, John Landau and Irving Azov are both in that group of folks who it's amazing to me that they're not in already. These are both folks who have been influential, who have been involved in lots of things. Landau's most known for his work with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Irving Azoff has, you know, worked with all kinds of different artists uh, throughout the years, both very much belong there. Yeah. I think we said on the onset, it's amazing how many people aren't in the Hall of Fame, but the 2020 class, as you said earlier, seems to represent a lot of different, I guess, niches mm-hmm. of music. And I think this round, it's pretty phenomenal of who's there. So I always wonder every year. So the folks that didn't get in, like Dave Matthews, I don't understand the voting process. I don't think a lot of people understand the voting process. And I wonder, will they come back? Do they have to wait to get back on the ballot again? I don't know what the process is. And that's part of what I'm a little curious about. But it is fascinating how you see artists that have to wait again for many years before they're even you know, nominated. Yeah, I, I'm looking it up. I didn't know the ballot process. And it says, so Dave Matthews Band was number one. And then Pat Benatar, the Doobie Brothers, Soundgarden, and Judas Priest. Those were the top five in the fan voting. And mm-hmm. I'm reading an article here and it said, does that mean Dave Matthews is in? No, none of these five is guaranteed. What happens, though, is that these five artists will comprise a single fans ballot that will be tallied along with the Rock Hall's full-fledged voting members, which are around 1,000. So like the fans ballot is one of 1,000 votes. So it's, it's like they got one vote. Wow. Now, we've seen in the past you know, winners got in. Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Kiss, Chicago, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, Rush. So, but obviously Dave Matthews didn't get in. I like when Trickster got in (laughs) and Skid Row. Row. (laughs) We should come up with, what is that from Stranger Things? The Underworld Rock Hall? Yeah, there you go. The the Upside Down. It could be all the one-hit wonder rock hall. You can have the no-hit wonder rock hall. It's just, it's like the complete opposite. Like, no, we don't want anybody popular in here or anybody that's well-respected. <laughs> yeah, what? or actually maybe it's the most maligned pop artists, right, who people look back and go, oh, my God, how was that ever a hit, right? Or, you know, right. You can have William Shatner. The, the Rock Hall. You know, 2020. Rock Del Rio <laughs> is in there. And, uh, yes. you know, yeah, this is the, the Upside Down. That's what it is, the Upside Down. Upside Down Rock Hall. You know, there you go. We can come up with a whole list and every year, you know, who's in the 2020 upside down class. I'm, I'm going to put it <laughs> right. Set red, man. Well, I definitely think winger should be in there. Winger had a couple hits though. 
I know. Heading for a heartbreak. I like my way was a good was a good yeah. song. And I don't see them making the rock hall. No, That's all won't. I'm saying. They won't. What about Chips Enough? Enough's enough. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't. I can hear uh, the song. Was a new thing. Yeah. That was a song. Yeah. Yeah. Jackal. Yeah. Let's put Jackal in there. Yeah. Oh, I hated them. What about Eric Johnson? Oh. Cliffs of Dover. Let's get him in there. Know, right. Yeah, it'd be people like that. Like they got a good tune, just they're not going to get in there. Well, unless they really start hitting the bottom of the barrel, you know, they'll be like, I don't know. Uh, well, we got a long way to go, you know. So, I think, and, and you know, the thing is, though, the thing with that is that in 10, 20 years, we're going to see that we're always going to be having people at it. So, you know, we look, at, right. you know, we got we don't have time. Lady Gaga. Well, that's the thing, right? You know, we don't have time, right? I mean, we're pretty much out of time. Because this could be an extended conversation, but we could do a whole podcast on who today is going to get in, right? There we go. I think Lady Gaga's probably got a case. We're building future episodes as we speak. That's what we do here, Tunes May. Well, we appreciate you listening in to our conversation about Rock Hall inductees 2020. And it's exciting. I mean, I think every year when this time hits, we generally post a couple things on the site. And we get excited about it. And I personally think it's great to honor these artists, cherish these artists, even think about, like you said, the Dave Matthews, the Judas Priest. Those bands, too, deserve respect. Even though they're not in there, they have a great following and their music has changed the world. So you, you also you have to think about the folks that were on the ballot that it didn't get in, too. That's that's what always intrigues me as well. Yep. So. Don't forget to subscribe to it. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. We're on all those things. We want you to, I guess, send us some ideas. If you've got something you want us to talk about. I recently got reached out by a fan who listens to the podcast that said, Hey, you know, you should go out and have you thought about um, interviewing Chuck Mangione? And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I guess recently he, um, has put out some new music and that could be a possibility so you never know we'll reach out we'll try people if you have suggestions we will try we will definitely do that all right so without further ado i'm mark and we will see you next time